You're listening to World Building for Masochists. And we're wondering why we do this to ourselves. Because how else are you going to slip a Legend of Zelda Easter egg into your book? Nice. Hi, I'm Punk Shepherd. I'm Marshall Ryan Maresca. I'm Cass Morris. And I'm Rowena Miller. And this is episode 71, X Marks the Spot. Welcome back, listeners. We are so excited today to have another fantastic guest joining us. Peng, welcome. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm Peng Shepard. I write speculative fiction, and I'm the author of The Book of M and also The Cartographers, which comes out uh, March 15th, 2022. We're so excited to welcome you here to World Building for Masochists. How is the pre-launch madness going? Uh, it is, it's chaos, but, uh, it's a lot of fun and, uh, um, yeah, I mean, you know, who doesn't love maps? So (laughs) people we don't like, right. Yes. Yeah. Forget them. Yeah. (laughs) Cannot vibe with. No, no. No. World builders love maps. That's who loves maps. So So tell us a little bit more about your work, Peng, and what, um, what we can expect from the, cart- the cartographers. So the cartographers, um, it's, uh, I guess they would call it um, a kind of a suspense fantasy, I guess, a little bit of a mystery. It's um, a book about map making and family secrets. And it follows um, Nell Young, who is a budding scholar. And she discovers after the death of her father, who is a very famous cartographer, that a very seemingly worthless map that's hidden uh in his belongings actually is it's hiding a very dangerous riddle and so she sets out to uncover what both that map that he had and he might have been hiding for decades i was the lucky one who got the arc of it and it is is a delicious like scavenger hunt slash fantasy slash all of your geeky map making just jolly is getting you know it's it's such fun it's such a fun read i just really really enjoyed it so yes so fantasy nerds love maps (laughs) yes we do (laughs) we love our maps love it 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 occurred to me i've talked to so many fantasy writers who the reality of like getting a book published that's great but the real the real thing is when you open your book and there's your map (laughs) so true (laughs) and you're like ooh, now it's really real yeah the book great but but I got to see the map when I opened the page. Oh, yeah. Are there any of those maps that, like, you just, they, like, the, the, I'm sure the book was good, but you, like, remember the map from from a book? Oh, totally. Uh, I think, I mean, probably my favorite of all time is the um, the map of Earthsea by Ursula K. Le Guin. Um, all those islands. I could just, I could spend, basically every time I see the map, even though, you know, I've practically got all the, the names of the islands memorized, I still just look at each one and you know like read the names and try to remember what the stories were on that on each of those land masses and it's just so beautiful there there is always something when you get a fantasy book and you look at the map and even if the story like never leaves like one city or one country it, it is it becomes this this beautiful cornucopia of possibility of like oh here's all these other stories that you're not going to read but they're still all here and it's it makes it still feel so very real the idea of like what else can be there and what what are the other stories in this world this is what gets me in trouble 
as a writer too because like if i've made a map i want to put stories in every little corner of it and that's like those do not all fit in the same book Cass. you need to yeah you need to move some of those (laughs) i i am very very familiar with this i mean y'all can see behind me right now <laughs> you, had to, you had to launch a whole different series to <laughs> to make room for listeners since you stories. can't see behind me right now i literally have like the maps of my world up on the wall behind me in beautiful framed framed pictures and it i you know, i am the biggest map geek of all so <laughs> <laughs> so this is this is a big important episode for me i'm gonna tear up a little oh <laughs> I love to, and I mean, gosh, this, the talent of the artists who create maps for, for fantasy books. But I love when you open a map and like you immediately get the vibe of the story mm-hmm. from the map. Like she's been on the show a couple times. Fonda Lee's maps are some of my favorites because they're, they're so different from a lot of the maps that you get in fantasy books. It's not this like sprawling epic world. It's like here is a much more like modern urban plug you right into, you know, the, the world and I think that's so fun yeah I always wonder if map uh design in books is sort of like cover design where you go through a couple of different styles because I can imagine you know if you've got one like an epic fantasy that has a different kind of design then uh for example some of Fonda Lee's maps or even a maybe like um like the maps in uh the magicians by Lev Grossman that's mm-hmm. they are fantastical but not not in an epic fantasy, but they're a little bit more whimsical and kind of modern. And uh, I think that would be such an interesting process to get to talk with uh, the map designers. Yeah, absolutely. How they make the choices about yeah, just how to render the coastlines, how to render yeah. the proportions, the fonts, all of that stuff. The one that popped into my mind was um, C.J. Redwine's Ravenspire series, which is very, very fairy tale based. And the map looks like it. There's like little castles dotting it and each section of the map which has different flavors you get a sense of the stories and of the fairy tales that are sort of located in each part of the map just from what it is and it's less literal than i think a lot of like epic fantasy maps that are sort of more imitating a a real world map for for however we define that but it gave you so much of the flavor of what to expect out of those books right at the start yeah i love too when the map is part of the story I'm reading The Hobbit out loud to my kids right now. And it's so fun because the map is is part of the story. Like it's it's a fully illustrated version and it's got the map with the runes like printed in it. So, you know, the, there's the whole bit about they had to go under the, the moon at the right time and then they could read the map. And so it's kind of like you have the map and you look at it like, oh, but no, it's part of the story too. It's not just... A piece of end paper it's something that's actually like active and live in the story and that's what i enjoyed i enjoyed your book time for that because the maps are like part of the story and so you encounter these maps and they're not just like a reference they're actually something that's 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 part of the, the narrative itself which i think is really fun uh it was really fun to uh that was one of the fun parts of writing it was getting to um well, without, I don't want to spoil it, but you know, there's a, there's a secret on one of the maps and the, the more times, because I think you get to see each map that happens in the book twice, I think maybe three times. And so each time you see it, you, there's more to it than you notice the first time. So, and I feel like, I mean, may, maybe I'm overstating, but I feel like maps get to be a more major player in fantasy than in a lot of other genres. 
partially in that way that they get to be alive, I think, and part of part of the story very, you know, kind of frequently. But they're not like they're not just a reference. Like I feel like you get a map and a historical fiction is usually like a reference. Like here you go. Now you understand where this city was in relation to this other city. And I feel like maps and fantasy. I don't know. I feel like they're special. <laughs> they, they are. I'm going to claim are. it. They're special. I want to plug. So there's so when I when I think of maps and books, I use the term kind of loosely. So this is sort of a map, but it's kind of not a map, but it's kind of a map. But there's a book by his name is Arturo Perez Reverte, I think, and he wrote the Flanders panel. And mm-hmm. it's about uh, a woman who's restoring a painting and she discovers that, oh, and the painting, what you have to know is the painting is a picture of a couple people playing a chess game. And it turns out that uh, the painting is actually a clue to a murder and the chess game has something to do with it. Like the, the positions of the chess pieces on the board have something to do with the answer to who murdered who. And then of course people start turning up dead as she investigates. But the really cool thing about the book is the book is a chess game. And so she starts trying to play through the chess game to figure out how the pieces arrived in that way before the clock runs out and the murderer finds her. And so every couple chapters, there's a new chess board printed in the book. So you get to see the moves that she's made and you get to follow the game. And it feels kind of like a map that does exactly that because in a way a chessboard is a map, you know, and he's, the author is showing you every step that they're making. And uh, I just thought it's it's just such a great book. It's so, it's so addictive to read because you, I'm not a great chess player, but I could sort of follow what was happening. And it was so, you know, exciting to get to the next board and then see what it changed. Oh, I love that. I'm going to have to write that down. Yeah, it's a Turn great it. book. Turn it, more books. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, okay. you're welcome. <laughs> but no, you're right. And I think that the fact that maps don't just mean like a geographic location, like here is the mountain and here's the river, like maps can be a lot of different things. I mean, there's been more than one time in a novel that I have wished for a map that was like battle schematics or a map that was, you know, the like interior layout of a house or something like that. Like that would just, you know, that there can be different ways of portraying space, whether it be on a chessboard or an entire planet that, you know, maps are fun to include for that. Yep. Yeah. Also in that, you know, it's a cliche of, you know, a picture can tell, can replace a thousand words, but if you just explain dryly like this place is to the south and this place to the north most of your readers are going to be like uh and glaze over that and not you know and thus not get what you know the layout of the geography of whatever you're doing is be it you know a world or a city or just a house but if you have a just a picture there people will be like oh okay the bedroom goes right next to the kitchen that's weird but okay that makes <laughs> now everything makes sense and everything else i'm reading I, it's a it's a great little way to add to your text without bogging down your text. Mm-hmm. It's it's a it's a critique I saw recently of the Wheel of Time on TV as opposed to Game of Thrones. It was somebody somebody commented that something they thought Game of Thrones had done better was having that map as part of the opening credits, and they Ooh, missed yeah. it in Wheel of Time because they felt like they did not have a sense of scale. They didn't know like. How far have these people traveled? How far is their hometown from the place they're going? They they wanted that in the visual sense, that quick marker right at the beginning in the opening credits, the same way that when you open a book, the map is is there for you. And I was like, you know, I agree. I, I sort of want like all fantasy things to have a map somewhere at the beginning now so that I know where people are. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, the Indiana Jones movies too. They did that. They had the little red lines, you know, zooming yes, across the yeah. earth so that you had a sense of 
where everything was happening. And I, I think, I don't know, I'm someone who likes that. I like, I'm a very locative thinker. I like to know where things are in space. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think too, like when you get into um, sci-fi too, that's a spot that I often really appreciate a map. Even if the map is like a galaxy map or a constellation map that's helping you understand what's happening in terms of like that's or a spaceship map that says this is how this spaceship is laid out and this is where all the decks are and like I would immediately get lost on the Enterprise I'm just gonna go ahead and lay that out there right now I actually I have need a map. from printed from 1973 the deck plans of the Star Trek Enterprise that shows you where everything is including the bowling alley because for some reason <laughs> there is a bowling alley on the original enterprise okay, because why not? i have not i have not seen every episode of star there, trek but there I has don't never been a bowling, bowling alley, alley. <laughs> seen or mentioned on the show whoever drew the 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 blueprints were like it needs a bowling alley doesn't it that is so happy it was the 70s <laughs> i think it kind of raises an interesting question though right because like I'm thinking about it and I'm like, I'm saying I would need a map for the Starship Enterprise, right? But I would also need a map for like any modern naval ship because I have heard these described and it sounds so freaking confusing. And there's so many like, you can't get there from here and you have to go up a deck and then over. But I don't think that they have maps. And so people just like know their way around. So there's this question of like, so who's the map for? Why do you make a map? And the people who use a space the most often may not need a map to begin with, right? Yeah. Yeah. I wonder what that's like. I guess for the first week, you all just sort of get wander around on the ship and you're all lost. <laughs> or is it even you just, you learn your paths and it's like, I don't need to know what's happening in other places in the ship because this is the routine that I go through. Yeah. That's really interesting. I wonder if, um, you know, if, yeah, if you're stuck in your station for a lot of times and then you had to go somewhere to another part of the ship, even though you're an expert in your part and you might've been at sea for so long, does it mean that you almost don't really know where to go once you get out of your section. Right. Yeah. And like, and these things are like floating cities. I mean, there's like laundries and barber shops and the doctor's office and all kinds of nonsense that you have to figure out where it is. Yeah. And I imagine there's probably a culture too of, you know, like you don't know your way around. What kind of a newbie are you? <laughs> like Your rank doesn't matter, but can you find the mm -hmm. men's restroom on deck, whatever side this? No. Well, no respect from us. <laughs> Though in saying like, who is the map for? Who is the map by? Is such a huge question, too. Like whenever you whenever you do open a fantasy book and there is the big map at the beginning, I always ask myself like, is this presented as just an objective truth? Or I mean, every map is subjective. It is in a very way a political statement of you know this is who we've acknowledged of who's where, where the borders are, and what what we're even calling these other people because even calling another country a certain name is a massive political act because you know they might be like that's not what we're called please don't call us that mm -hmm. right which and i mean to say nothing of depending on who drew the map and what country they're from if there is a disputed you know border or a disputed territory the border might not be the same if you look at a map maker's map from one country versus a map maker's map from the other country or like what color they've colored the territory to denote which country they they claim that it belongs to i mean yeah it's just i think uh a lot of times we don't think about it when we just glance at a map sort of at first you know in the first moment you're just you're just looking at 
the rough outlines of it. But even, yeah, even though maps are pictures of places, they are drawn by people and everybody has a story. So you have to kind of figure out what that story is before you can understand what the map's about. One thing that always fascinates me with maps of earth is like, where's the map centered? Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, yep. You can figure out something about who drew the map by where they put the middle. <laughs> yeah. That's why Germany is in the middle of the standard Mercator projection because <laughs> why, why, why is, why is the Northern hemisphere on top? There's, there's the great episode of the West wing where one of the, one of the subplots <laughs> sorry um well one of the subplots is these people come to to pitch to the white house that we need to stop using the mercator projection use is it the peters projection or the roberts projection or it is the but peters projection it is the peters projection propose. which is you know doesn't distort the poles as much but also flips it so the southern hemisphere is on top they show it to cj and she's like no you have to turn that off <laughs> you can't do out. that it's freaking me out you're like you can't you're like you can't she's like wait you th- at the great moment when she's well, like you're saying germany isn't where i think it is nothing is where you think it is <laughs> yes. and it's great and like they're, they're played as sort of a joke but it is a serious thing to consider mm-hmm and I love that that's the map that you open the book with, Peng, is a map that's oriented differently than is our norm, a map that puts oh, yeah. map-oriented. Yeah, he was one of, yeah, it was a, he was a Kemaldolese, Kem- I can't say this word, Kemaldolese monk. Uh, and he, yeah, he was famous for, um, I think he was the first one to ever draw a map, which we would consider upside down because it oriented the the south at the top of the map and the north at the bottom i mean i think especially nowadays it would be very uncommon but especially then it was just you know unheard of and so very kind of innovative at the time what's super interesting is that the idea of sort of orienting to north i think is more recent because before magnetism before we worried about that that sort of wasn't what anyone was thinking about if you look at a lot of medieval maps they're oriented sort of towards jerusalem they're oriented towards what was considered the holy land for them and it's completely different and i saw recently a map of the mediterranean reoriented to be tilted 90 degrees so it's it's east west instead of north south so that the sea is going up the middle and it made so much more sense it was like of course that's how (laughs) most people in in the ancient era would have thought of it and that's how the currents work and how you would have gotten around i was like i am so mad i didn't think of that i (laughs) the word nerd me will point out that the word orient means to the east that's it there you go go. it's just it's fascinating to think about not only who you were how your social prejudices biases whatever you're trying to promote necessarily affects the map but also your technology like do do you know what north is in your world do they have an axis like that do they have anything that guides how the world is is placed in in two-dimensional space like that mm-hmm. and, and the question of well what's important to you in a map and if currents are the most important thing in your transportation and your trade and all that you might be more interested in highlighting that than anything else i think uh that was a big part of uh, rebecca run horse's I think the first book is called The Black Sun because it takes place, a huge part of it takes place on the sea and they're crossing some kind of a, it's like a gigantic bay, I think, or something. And you can't just go up the coast. You have to cut across or something like that. 
I remember seeing drafts of that map when it came out and it's interesting because the majority of that map, as I recall, is the water, not the land, um, which is, you know, I'm just interesting and different. And the currents would have mattered a lot to her characters um, in a way that, you know, for something like, I don't know, Game of Thrones, it's, it's just all about the land. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, what purpose was a map created for? And one that like pops into my head and you include these in your book and I love it is Sanborn maps. Oh yeah, um, I'm they so were thrilled created. you know. Yeah, I, yeah. Most people, I say sandboard oh, maps. God, I love like, them. What's a sandboard map. I love them. You want to explain what they are for our listeners who may not know and love already a sandboard map? Sure. Yeah, uh, sandboard maps were these super important maps uh, in the United States. In the, um, I think they were in use until maybe the '60s, possibly the '70s, and they are they were made by. Uh, a company to help insurance companies determine how at risk a building was because, um, you know, in decades past, a lot of buildings were made of wood or other kind of flammable things. And so these maps would be sort of, um, they were at like the street level. So you could see a street with rows of buildings and all of the, you know, each building would be classified by color or by material type. And so it could tell you which were the most flammable or which were the more at risk for other things like that. Uh, to help, yeah, to help insurance companies determine how much to charge or how risky things would be. And it's so cool because it is just like a key that'll tell you like like if a building is wood or brick or like mixed material or, or whatever. And so they're really useful like in historical like archaeology and preservation stuff because you can go back and look at all these and see like what changes have happened to a neighborhood over time. Right. And what even what changes have happened to an individual building. And at one point we lived in a house that had been built originally in 1872, I think. And then at some point it had undergone like a major renovation that like the next generation in, like the owners decided to like revamp it and make it modern and cool per like 1900 standards. But I was able to get into the sandboard maps and figure out like a window in which they had actually done this. I was like, okay, so it was somewhere between like 1895 and 1900 That's that they so actually cool. went through and did this like, because they added an addition and it went from being um wood just just wood to being stucco mm -hmm. so it's like there were like changes and so it was, i mean it's 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 interesting how like so the map was created for one purpose and now it's incredibly valuable for well nerds like me who are looking at <laughs> just random stuff but also just you know for yeah for archaeologists and historical societies and historians and people yeah the sandborn maps are just such an incredible resource because since it was uh they were their purpose was related to money they were very well preserved and also reissued very often because uh they needed to be very accurate so yeah i mean um the new york public library actually has a lot of them in their archives it has it was really fascinating to go and i spent a lot of time just clicking through them uh, and looking at stuff the same way that you have but also what you bring up there rowan is that a map is not just a a thing that shows you space or place it's a snapshot in time so you see not only where things are but where what they were called and where they were at a specific point when the map was made so if something changes then you have to make a new map uh, there's that great XKCD cartoon, which is like it's a it's a flowchart of if you're looking at a globe, you can figure out exactly when the globe came out based on what's on the middle. Like, is Tanzania there? Yes. Then it's after this day. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and it, you can pinpoint exactly when the globe was made be, by what's there. 
and fantasy worlds are infamous for being unchanging a lot of times which <laughs> is a challenge but i i love the idea that you can also show how the world changes over the course of time with the use of your map it's something that drove me wild when i was researching for the oven cycle which is you know, based on rome is that it is so hard to find maps of republic rome because so much of it got rebuilt in the imperial era and that is the stuff because it was marble and stone that survived longer and, and got, you know, whether it's through archaeology and it's easier to figure out or they're still standing or there were at least like sketches of it from 18 Dickety 2 and it fell down later. But at least we have that sketch and we know where it was. But it's all the imperial stuff. And so like getting into the Republic stuff is so much harder because it just didn't survive. And so everything is a is a guess, basically, like they have tried to make maps of it, but there aren't that many of them. And it's a lot of guesswork. And it was, it was a challenge for me because it's like, I can't refer to things that wouldn't be built for another two centuries. Archaeologists, help me out here. Come on. Well, there's, there's I think, a question there, too, of like, how far can you trust a map? Very you know, true, and, yeah. And I because I think your book plays with this um, and, you know, not to like get spoilery with it, but there's an element of a map can be an unreliable narrator. It can be telling you something and is it actually true or not, depending on who made it, when it was made who it was made for. I think uh, so that this uh, this idea of an unreliable narrator or of, um, you know, things that might be hidden on a map that you wouldn't notice at first glance. I mean, obviously a, a huge inspiration for this book, but um, if for uh, maybe some of your listeners, if they, they're map nerds like us, they'll know. But um, in case you don't, I think one of the most interesting things about um, modern maps that I came across in my research was the concept of phantom settlements, which is uh, the, the secret that ends up kicking off the book. But for listeners who don't know, phantom settlements are, they've sort of fallen out of favor now that uh, electronic maps and Google maps and stuff like that are such a big thing because it's too easy to check. But at the height of um, paper map days, when, uh, especially when we all had cars and we could start, you know, we were driving, we were covering really big distances. And so maps had to cover huge distances in extreme detail too. So there's this uh, longstanding practice among cartographers of hiding um, intentional errors on their maps. And uh, cartographers started doing it as a way to basically protect their work. These The, the little um, secrets function as kind of like copyright traps, because if you you know, hide something like a mountain that doesn't exist or a little dead end road off of another dead end road that no one's going to go to. Uh, and only, you know, about it. If that little thing turns up on someone else's map, the only way it could be there is if someone has copied your work because no one else should know, you know, that it's there. So if you go back, so like I said, these days, they're not such a common thing, but if you look at maps from, uh, anywhere from like the 1900s all the way up through probably like the 1990s, you would be surprised at how many of these maps actually have tiny little secrets like that on them. I mean, probably more often than not, there is one hiding right in front of you. Uh, and if you, you know, spend enough time looking, you might find it. That is so cool. I love that concept. I That's wanna... glorious. It also, it makes me oh. think of, I forget which Discworld book it's in, but there's a, a Terry Pratchett quote about like, I think it's in the Stolat Plains. He's like, there were small towns that were really only there because cartographers get embarrassed if there's too much blank space on a map. (laughs) (laughs) There's too wide an expanse. I got, I got to put a dot in it somewhere. I got to, people are gonna think I'm not doing my job if I don't. Right. Right. (laughs) 
And I love too that it's that you know those those maps that everyone kept folded up in their glove compartment back before we all had ever updating maps in our pockets that we could pull out anytime. And I was thinking about it. I was like, I haven't carried a map in my car in a really long time. Yeah. And maybe I should because sometimes my phone doesn't work, and that would be smart. But <laughs> yeah, it's you know, I mean. We probably we all lived through that era of transitioning away from from carrying maps with us everywhere. Or did, did you know what else? Like you would print off the directions from MapQuest. Oh, MapQuest. I remember that. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. MapQuest pages. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we used to think we we thought that that was the step forward. We were like, yes. isn't this amazing that we can now just print off directions yes. and <laughs> still look at them? <laughs> and and now we have you know recalculating, turn left at you know just beeping at us from our from our. It's even plugged through our our car system now instead of even being just on our phone. Yeah. And I would say, so I think we definitely all are super grateful at how easy it's become to navigate using, um, you know, Google maps or, or whatever app you use. But I also think that in a good way, it's kind of given us all a little bit of nostalgia for the old paper maps, because the more we use these, you know, electronic forms of maps, I think our shift, our thinking has shifted from maps being these beautiful works of art that have a feeling of like exploration and wonder and unfamiliar places that you can go to completely knowable things in just the most minute detail that you could ever want or need. And it would be almost unthinkable that a Google map could be inaccurate in some way. Whereas that's kind of the beauty of paper maps is that they aren't perfect, but they might tell you more or give you more than uh, some of these modern maps. There, there's there's no sense of mystery or, or beguilement to them anymore. There's not, I mean, the, a lot of those Indiana Jones Pulp Adventure concepts are so rooted in the past this point we don't know and you're gonna have to figure you're gonna have to figure out your way along the way like that sort of storytelling can't exist anymore because it's just like no we've got satellites of everything so (laughs) so we're gonna know you know we can yeah we we already found that yeah there's google street view of that what are you talking (laughs) oh yeah i got to experience it in a very minute way last summer one of my jobs is I, i was working as quest director for a summer camp And the park, there's not a park map. It doesn't exist. You can see it on Google, but it's all tree cover if you do, you know, the the satellite view. And the roads, the major roads are there, but the walking paths aren't. The the things that are the trails and, and the bike paths and things like that. And so I actually had to walk them myself and map it out myself to get to the places where, like, I was designing this adventure for the campers to go on, for these kids to go on. I had to know where things were going to happen. But I had to figure it out. And, and what I ended up doing was like, I put my, my Fitbit tracker on and then sort of layered that <laughs> over what I knew was the general shape of the whole thing. But it was, a, it was a really interesting experience in having to get that granular without the assistant. You know, I was using technology, but not in the way we so easily do. I couldn't just say, show me the trail map. It didn't exist. I had to make it. And it was really fun. And and I got to do things like here there be monsters because it's a mythology themed summer camp. So <laughs> I got to put like, all right, Cyclops goes here. This is excellent. <laughs> oh, that's so neat. <laughs> no, I love that though, because I mean it puts you in this kind of like very personal relationship to the space and to where you wanted to go. It almost makes me think of, I mean, when's the last time you gave someone directions? Remember way back before we even had MapQuest, it was like if you wanted to 
get to someone's house. They'd be like, okay, so you go here and then you turn here in this street. And I was thinking, I was like, I haven't given anyone directions in the longest time. Yeah. You just give them the address and they right, and you plug put it, it in. into, yeah. I think the only time recently that I've had to do that is um, some military bases you can't get maps of or they don't oh. work on your electronic stuff. So if you're going to visit someone on base, they'll be like, okay, so I need to tell you from the main gate how you're going to get like, oh, this is like the nostalgia trip. Like <laughs> no one, no one gives directions. My grandma tries and I don't need it. And I just play along, you know, kind of a thing. But other than that, yeah, it's, it's funny. Though there is still the occasional thing where a place is, address in terms of like what you know the how you would mail a thing to it and how you actually get there are not quite in sync so then you will get these these bizarre things where it's like if you tried to trust your google maps it's it's gonna do something weird um i remember a few years ago we did this road trip and we were well behind schedule when we were to get to the hotel we had scheduled to stay at in virginia and even though it the, the actual website of the hotel said, like, do not put this address in. Put this address in, in instead. And I put the instead in, and instead of taking us to the hotel, it took us to some, like, mental institution. <laughs> it's like three in the morning. <laughs> We're driving up this thing, and this nurse is sort of looking out the window like, what are you doing? Why are you here? It's like, no, the hotel's over there. This happens. Was it this Western is- State? It's... It was in Staunton, Virginia. I don't remember. I think I know exactly where it accidentally sent you. Yeah. That'd be creepy to pull up on in the middle of the night. That'd be, that'd be unsettling. That would not be good. No. I mean, I think it's, there's, there's more opportunity in the limitations of maps than in perfect maps for good stories. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a great story, and it comes from a map being limited and having a limitation, and there being some kind of a, you know, an, an in imperfection or inadequacy to the map. And I mean, up until very recently, most maps had limitations of one sense or another. You know, we haven't gone there yet, or, you know, we've only got this much area charted out, or or whatever. You think of the like early maps of North America by Europeans and it's really funny because like the rivers are really clearly laid out because that was all they had taken they had taken the rivers into like the Midwest but they didn't know anything other than that so the rivers are like super clear and like you can see like the outlines of even like where some states would end up like you can see Indiana because it's like these rivers come together in this point like oh that's where it's gonna be but everything else is just kind of like I don't really know. (laughs) I remember as a kid, my mom's office, she for some reason had this like really old map that, you know, Europe is very clean and the east coast of the U.S. is very clean. But like, then it just sort of like fades off to the west. <laughs> but like, it, it goes somewhere there. And I was, as a kid, I was confused. It was just like, why, why does this not know? Like, why? <laughs> I got so confused as a child when the maps changed, when the USSR dissolved, because Because, uh, I was four or five when that happened. And it was like, no, but it's on the map. You can't just change the map. (laughs) That's that's how it is. Because at the same time, I also thought that like the lines between countries and states were like painted on the on the ground. (laughs) I remember like. My first trip in an airplane, I was really excited to look out and see the state line. Oh, that <laughs> my would mom, be my mom, that would be neat. My mom had to be like, that's "No, that's not quite how it works, honey." <laughs> so yeah, when the map changed, I was like, "This just I don't understand." My geopolitical <laughs> awakening was, "You can just change a map." I, huh? 
Well, and, and, and you and you can use the map to assert things, too. Like, some of my favorite maps are, like, the American Revolution era ones where, like, Pennsylvania and Virginia just, like, keep going, like, <laughs> indefinitely. Because In, they were Virginia, like, we're yes. claiming all of this. <laughs> and they were like, no, you're not. And no West Massachusetts is in there like, oh, us too, us too. So it's like you have these, like, states, and you see, like, the eastern edge of the state, and then it just kind of, like, keeps just blobbing off into the west like these states were individually claiming like we are going to when we get this territory at the end of the war presuming that we you know don't lose it's ours and that's not how it worked out obviously there there was a thing in some (laughs) other old american maps where and this like lasted almost to like the mid 19th century where they would show california as an island because somebody who made this map you know back in the 17th or early 18th centuries like well i know california's there but it, it, there's no way it can connect to the rest so it must be an <laughs> island and just <laughs> and just drew it that way and that like stayed uncorrected for decades because and that was just the presumption of like all right well somebody drew it as an island it must be an island i guess so see this is why you don't copy other people's maps (laughs) that's a that's a really big phantom settlement (laughs) all all of california the the, the mid california sea yes (laughs) nevada doesn't exist it's just a big lake i mean have you known anybody to get across nevada no nobody's done it Seems fake. Um, it kind of reminds me. So there's a story going in the other direction um, because we we tend to think of you know electronic maps as perfect. There was some kind of a glitch a couple of years ago where oh, I'm probably going to get this wrong, but there was some algorithm where anytime location services were turned on for anything or anytime an IP address couldn't be located exactly it would place it right in the center of America, like the exact geographic center of the US. If it was just, you know, a some kind of a location service that was in the United States. And it turns out that at the exact center of the United States is like this little farm house. So for several years with increasing frequency, these, this poor family started getting really weird visits from like very angry people claiming that their stolen iPhone was there or tax collectors or like, um, bounty hunters or FBI agents all turning up looking for people or stolen things that had been tagged as being located exactly there because it just was the geographic center of America because there was like a glitch in the system and it's just it's just fascinating that's a plot hook right there is is there's something in that especially if you add magic to it and it's like there actually is a portal here the family living on top of it might not know but yeah. you could you could do all kinds of fun stuff with that. Oh man. Oh all yeah. The, all those stolen goods are there. They're just through the portal. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's what caused the glitch, obviously. Clearly. Right. Yeah. Some fey nonsense or something. <laughs> I was thinking too about like, you know, what gets put on maps, what's important on a map, and and who makes it sort of defining that and, and how we have this idea of, you know, here there be monsters, here there be dragons. But what if like a monster hunter or like a, a dragon enthusiast made the map and that was like all they put on it it's like here's where the monsters are just <laughs> rivers not important if you find a river go across it. i don't need to tell you where that is I'm unless there's a the monster monsters. in it unless there's a cool monster in it and then i'm gonna tell you about the cool monster but i may or may not tell you like how much river is there it's not important this is the monsters they're the important things yeah i sort of want to see that inversion of the, of the trope in something <laughs> very very accurate monster map not very good geography 
Did I, did I not mention the chasm? Sorry. <laughs> oh, whoops. It's like how you occasionally see like people's maps of like the best pizza joints and stuff like that. And like nothing else is on the map. It's just like <laughs> every place that you can get a donut in Chicago or whatever. Like, There's one of all the rude is... place names in England. Like, <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> we need a fantasy book that the map is more like the Michelin Guide. It's just like, this is the cool places to stop and eat along the way, but no other details. Right. <laughs> I could see that, like, spawning some really fantastic feuds like if there was like the michelin guide map and it's just like these are the cool places in the world and these are the places that stink and like people getting like really like <laughs> angry about their labeling i say as someone who lives in a flyover state <laughs> though what you were saying about adding magic to it but like like how do you how do you express like magic being something different on the map or that the map can be different because of magic there was I remember in one of the one of the graphic novels of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, there's a thing with a map that's done in like an old style 3D thing where you wear the glasses that are red and blue. Oh yeah. But it, you oh. get completely different maps if you look at it with just the blue or just the red, so that like it shows like the things being out of sync with each other. You'd have to have your publisher go along with you to print a color map because that's that's a whole other thing. But there can be a fun way to show like, especially in sort of a you know magical fey thing of two different things occupying the same space. Would it work on a website? I, I wonder. Know. Like if you can't get your publisher to go along with the printed map, like free idea. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would think so because it works on like movie screens. So, right. yeah, someone try, someone try want, and tell us how it I works. Want, I want more three D maps. <laughs> yes. So I'm curious, since we are all map nerds, apparently, <laughs> um, are we also map makers? Like, do y'all, when you're writing, do you create maps? Ooh, um, you mean that the, we let other people see? <laughs> <laughs> not necessarily that's a different question <laughs> that's a different question entirely i definitely do um i forget who was say was it you cass who was saying that you really have to know where things are located in order to yeah, write yeah. yeah i think i'm kind of the same way so if there's going to be a big journey or if people are going to be going back and forth between different places i, I really have to know how far apart they are or like what you pass through to get there uh, in order to be able to write that i mean i'm a complete map geek all the all the maps and all my books were done by me i remember i like sent things in to the publisher i was like so are you gonna hire someone to do the final map they're like there's not gonna nobody can do a final map that's you know gonna be more than this and we're so we're, no <laughs> this is extra we're, we're good <laughs> we're good <laughs> this map is pretty extra <laughs> and i mean because that's also for me like i've actually been on this kick for the past couple of weeks because I've been kind of in a little bit of mini writer's block. And so whenever I am in a bit of mini writer's block, that's sort of the thing I do to like engage my creative engines to, you know, on something that's not creating words. So I create more maps and that's, you know, that's a way to help unlock my brain sometimes. It is a thing I just love doing because I'm incredibly dorky that way about maps. <laughs> Do you uh do you start drawing the map first or do you get the story first? Oh, I always draw the map first. Like, yeah. I, I, I need to know that. I need to have that sense of what the world is and where where places are in the world so like to get to know more about how the story is going to go. Especially who was it? It was 
I want to say it was Jennifer Williams. She wrote the Copper Cat trilogy, I think. I think I have the name right. I might have screwed it up. But I remember there was a conversation on Twitter several years ago about like drawing maps and all that. And she's like, no, nah, because who knows if I need a continent across the ocean? And I was just like, how can you have a Schrodinger's continent across the ocean? <laughs> <laughs> like, that's, you know, like, how can you not have that locked in? But like, I do love just the idea of just going as deep as my computer will let me with a map before it starts grinding everything to a halt and being like you've made an enormous file please stop please let me go <laughs> white flag because, because it, it it does signal the idea that there is just so much more story to a world than you're going to be able to get with just one book but that that sense of depth that is part of why we are all crazy masochistic world builders <laughs> i'm i'm very much the same the map isn't always the first thing i do but it always comes early on and i need both a a geopolitical map it doesn't have to be the whole world i i'm okay with depending on the story i'm okay with some schrodinger's continents depending on how big the scope schrodinger's continents <laughs> how, how big the people you know the scope of the people in the story is like do they know i don't know i, I need that level at least like a continent sort of level map but i also all i need a city map I need to know where things are in location to each other within the story because, I mean, historically, people's neighborhoods, if you're living in a, in a large city, if you're you know, not just in like a small town, in cities, people's neighborhoods become so important to them. What hill you live on, what street you're on, how close you are to other things, how close are you to the palace, how close are you to parliament, how close are you to the river, it becomes so much of people's identity that I have to know that to know who my characters are and, and sort of just how they function within their world. And then I get even more neurotic sometimes and have to like do maps of buildings to know like where things are inside them. That's not always, but it happens sometimes. <laughs> I find yeah. it fun. It's like, it's playing dollies. It's, you know, <laughs> it's, I need my dollhouse. When you're doing like, when you're working in a city specifically, that thing of like which neighborhood you're in becomes so tied to so many things in term, especially like with the, with the city map I did for Velocity Revolution, like so much of the caste system and the class system is based on where in the city you are because the people in the, in the inner parts of the city are the upper classes and you have to, you know, cross through the checkpoints to get to, to the outer areas where the, where the lower castes live and so that was such a crucial part of just how the city worked in general. I needed to I needed to have that visualization to understand how it went. So would you say, because you know, well, at least for me, I will write a draft and then many, many things change and many things move. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you delete like whole chapters, whole sections. But is that the same way with your maps too? Or is it kind of like what you draw first mostly stays? Do you think? I most of what I draw first stays, but it's because it ends up so embedded in other things that I can't imagine how I would change it. Because I'm thinking about like, so I, I get my like kind of like rough world map together and like, it's not, this is, I'm outing myself as a world building masochist yet again. It's not just about where things are located, but I'm looking at it. I'm like, okay, so I've, I've put in my mountain ranges and I have my coastlines and I have like, now I can imagine what the weather patterns are like and what the seasonal changes look like and like all of that stuff. So it's like, I, I, I could go back and change the map, but then I'd have to also go back and rethink like, okay, so I made this place have mild winters because of how I set up, you know, like the coastline and this is where the mountains are. And so you have like 
kind of like, you know, this effect with, with how air currents are moving or whatever. And now I have to go back and rethink that. And I don't want to rethink that much. So, so really <laughs> like, it's more like, like your map defines your story, not your story defines yeah. your map for you in some ways yeah or at least at least the playground the story is taking place in which and the playground can define a lot of the story right i mean like the slides over there and the swings over there and i'm i'm sorry if you wanted to play that the fort goes over there it's just not going to work that way because this is the playground so yeah <laughs> so yeah i do i think in that sense i set up like the stage that the story is going to happen on and the stage doesn't change a whole lot like I might tweak things like where a city is or how far away two things are from each other or is this is this town going to be on like at the mouth of the river or in a little bit further or things like that I'll play with but like the overarching world like I'm like nope figured it out it's good yeah (laughs) yeah I think it often feels very locked in I remember when I was taking the world map that I have behind me to like the sort of the next level where I was able to have a more sophisticated computer and thus more sophisticated program to do it with and thus make the coastlines more intricate. And I was like just deleting these sort of, you know, the the ragged coastlines to make them more intricate. And in my brain, I imagined this thing is like this like finger of God carving through the coastline. It's like, nope, you don't have any coast here anymore. I hope you weren't standing there. <laughs> because it is this sort of, you want to build the sense of reality of these things you're creating. So if you're, if you change the map, you're, you're changing the world in in a very you know concrete way i remember what game was it It was one of the old text games from inficom i forget i think it was enchanter but there was one where you get a magic map and a magic pencil and you're in this maze and the way to get through the maze is you draw a new line on the map and that opens up a hole in the wall because <laughs> if you change the map you changed reality so then that's how you get through the maze is by is by erasing and drawing new lines and Sorry, I'm just imagining like fantasy authors editing their maps is basically like enacting horrible natural disasters. <laughs> I was thinking that too. Created like I'm gonna erase this island and like <laughs> like they're like no, <laughs> ah! <laughs> you know? we are climate change. I mean that's that's the power of being God that we crave. So it's <laughs> <laughs> true. Plus, on a practical level, like if you move things after you've mostly written the story, and then you end up having to like go through and find every reference to every reference in that instance to east and change it to west but you can't just control f for east and change it all to west because other things might be east of other things it's like oh no i don't want to do that to myself especially not <laughs> the least of the beasts that, that went to the feasts <laughs> whole word only <laughs> copy replace whole word only you only make copy that mistake once yeah <laughs> but that's a fun question and i i wonder i i wonder how true it is for other authors whose brains perhaps work in different ways mm-hmm. and and if they have a more malleable sense of the world after they've they've written a story i needed this <laughs> on the south side it's there now don't there, yeah <laughs> if you're listening and you're one of them tell us about it whereas i've often been like okay i need this person to get here to oh wait that's you know that's gonna be tough i guess that's i guess that's a them problem now they've got to figure out in <laughs> <laughs> in the thing i'm writing right now it's like oh we have to do a quick getaway but there's a river and only two bridges so that's a choke point so we we need to figure out how to get across the river quick but that that to me is part of the fun is is setting is using those locked in things as as a way to control yourself one of the things 
I mean, I'm a huge Star Trek nerd, but one of the things that always bugs me is that sense of geography, of space geography. It's just completely... It makes no know, sense. It makes yeah. no sense whatsoever. So then, like, you can be like, oh, we're so far... You're the only starship that's close enough. It's like, they're at Earth. How are they the only <laughs> starship close enough? Or, or something like, you know, who knows when we'll get help, but help can arrive any second. And because there is no clear sense of what travel times really are what distances really are it's it makes it easy to cheat and you can have it always be at the you know how fast can we get there is the speed of drama but but it always it, it doesn't sit right with me no i don't like the the discontinuity of like bejor to earth is it like six hours is it two days is it two weeks at warp and it's always at like they're always going at warp nine no matter what <laughs> it is <laughs> But and I know, like no... taking it a taking it a nice easy warp three. Like, <laughs> it's like no, there's 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 just no there's there's no consistency, and it it does make me a little bats, especially when I'm writing fanfic, and it's like, but I need the correct answer. But yeah, they they're, they're very bad at the sense of like, is this a long trip or a short trip? Well, it depends. Do we do we need to get there right away for the sake of this today's story? Then it's a short trip. If the point is it's going to be a long drive out there. Then it's a long trip. I can't work that way when I'm doing my own story. And I think, I'm... yeah, and mapping for transportation is kind of a huge thing, right? Like if you're going to have a, a vast train system in your world, you probably need to map out the trains at some point or else you're pulling the same kind of thing of like, oh, you get there sometime. I don't know. And like I maybe maybe some writers are more comfortable with that than I am, but I think I would just mess myself up and like say the wrong thing and loop it back over like later and be like, wait, I thought you said that, that was an overnight train trip. Darn it. I should have made a map. That would have solved the problem. Map. They or, added a new line. But then there can be some fun in how you express your maps in different ways. Like especially like one of the challenges I've had trying to do world building stuff for a space setting is I can never make a three dimensional star map that makes me makes my brain happy but there there's ways you can cheat around that or such but uh i'm specifically thinking of the lost fleet series by jack campbell where the whole concept is we used one form of space travel to get to like deep into enemy territory and we cannot use those gates to get home so they have to use like the lesser older gates and so the they have to like they have to do basically a lot more connections of like here to here than here to here as opposed to just the one big jump to get home. So the maps are like subway maps of like you can get to here and then from here you can go to five other places. And then and so much of the plot is about them being like, what's our best route home now that we've gotten to this place? Well, this would be the fastest route. Yeah, we, well, we can't do that because that that's also the route that is the most protected. So it is them taking like the most backwater confusing way to get home to avoid the most trouble along the way. So you have like the Odyssey, but in space gate form. Pretty much. <laughs> and I was realizing, so Peng, we're, we're kind of like live building a world on air um, that we revisit from time to time. And we have a map of this world, but we added the element that we have what are called the magical nude gates. Mm -hmm. um, because you can only, only fit like living beings can pass through them. Everything else like, vaporizes upon entry but that are like portals in the world so you come out nude um kate 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 elliott gave this to us as a gift and we had to take it um so you say that like um, we didn't glory. embrace we, it with glory we, yeah. we happily took it i mean like we had to have this 
but I realized that to write a story in this world, we would need a map of the magical nude gates and where they go to. And oh yeah, like, like where they pop out. Like there would be, you know, there are very few stories you could write in this world that would not intersect with a magical nude gate at some point. And so you'd have to have like the subway map of of the magical gates and where they pop out. And and it's going to be a project for us at some point. And, yes, it will be. <laughs> Wait, can I add? Can I add something to Kate's? Oh, magical please. nude gate. Please do. Okay. In fact, well, can... say that this is this is how we end our episodes with our guests is we ask for a gift for our world. So please, please do. Yeah, I have a gift to to add on to that gift. Okay, so in this world with magical nude gates, <laughs> you've got um navigators or pilots or yeah, navigate. Let's go with navigators. They are because if you can only pass through with just yourself, because anything you tried to bring with you, you wouldn't be able to keep. So it might be really hard to know where you're going to go. So these navigators have the subway map of nude gates tattooed on their backs. So that way you can always bring the maps with you. So if you've got someone in your party who is a navigator and has the map tattooed on them, then when you end up nude at the <laughs> next gate, you, you still got the map. So you know where to go next. I love it. <laughs> I, I love adore it. Adore this too, and, because and, at some and, point and in the past, people, these people would be so cool too, because they would be like, like really knowledgeable about all these spaces, and like not only is there a map tattoo in their back, but they're like, I totally know a great kebab place just right. Yes. The gate. So we're gonna stop there. Next. I put, I put that down. I put that. Yeah, you do right. Yeah, I tattooed that. Yeah. On, yeah. They would just look really cool because you know they have this cool map tattoo spider web. And I'm thinking about, and at some point in the past, we've talked about like how the, the MNG would have been mapped out in the first place. And so now I'm I'm imagining the first navigators and the first people who were like, I know how we can do this. I know how we can get, like, that's a great origin story for the MNG. That is. Is these, and that these navigators. And that would be a great, like, adventure story, too, of like, well, we're going to pop out of this gate and we don't really know where we're going to be. And we're going to have to, like. And you have to, like, immediately out. record it on your body so that you don't <laughs> forget. You don't get lost. It. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, my I love gosh. It. I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming and joining us and talking the cartographers and for giving us navigators for our magical nude gates. <laughs> uh, well, thank you. I had so much fun. And also thanks to Kate Elliott. For yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hi you! Thanks for listening to this episode of World Building for Masochists and letting us help you overcomplicate your writing life. Our next episode goes up on March 16th where Natanya Barron joins us to talk about fashion, art, and power. If you want to know more about your hosts and the fantastical books we write, links to all of that information is on our website at worldbuildingformasochists.podbeam.com. We really hope you liked this episode. If you did, please do take a minute to tell a friend, shout about us on the internet, or leave a review on iTunes. If you've got questions or just want to tell us how cute we are, there's a number of ways to contact us. We're on Twitter as at WorldBuildCast, and our email is WorldBuildCast at gmail.com. We also have a Discord chat room linked in the About the Show page of our website if you want to come and chat with us and other friends of the podcast. We'd love for you to share the worlds you're making and help us all build until it hurts.